Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to give you the Authority Marketing Roundup. Yes. yes Sounds yes, definitive, yes. doesn't it? <laughs> you know, the minute we end this, we're going to think of something else we're going to want to add to the list. Yes. Oops, we forgot. We both agree that when you get to the authority stage of a career, when you're, when you're gunning for it, let's say you're trying to work your way up into that realm, the rare air of authority, that you're pretty much going to have to be doing some kind of speaking and some kind of writing. We racked our brains before the show to think of any, any person that we would consider an unqualified authority in their space. And every single one of them speaks and has at least one book and probably does from an ongoing marketing basis, does one of the other on a regular basis. They either speak a lot or they write a lot. And eventually there's a book. <laughs> if if not many books. The word author, authority, they're kind of related. You can sort of see the connection there if you look real close. From a marketing standpoint, once you've carved out some time for yourself to engage in marketing and you maybe want to get past that expert level where you really know your stuff and you want to uh, kind of move into that higher echelon where Maybe you're getting paid 15 grand to speak or you're, you're attracting a different kind of audience. You've got a different value proposition and you've the probably got through all of this speaking and writing that you're doing. You've probably developed a really strong uh, worldview or point of view or big idea or something that's resonating with an audience that you've somehow found. And it just involves lots of sharing and lots of working on the ideas in public to refine them and, and boil it down to something that's very powerful, really something that people will share with other people. And it, it kind of can kind of take off on its own. Is it a sort of fair introduction? Do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think the key is that it just depends on where your starting point is and you may have a very, very small audience, i.e. your mom and dad. And, and you start to experiment with those ideas, or it could be that you've been in business for quite a while and you've worked on these ideas with clients and now you're really ready to share them, to take them out in, in a broader uh, public and take them for a ride. Not yeah, the public, totally. your ideas. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Take, take the ideas for a spinner on the block. Let's do, since this is a roundup, let's talk about some of the things that people can do once they're, maybe they're developing their expertise still, or they've got some, the, the, they're like, ah, I think I'm onto something here. I think I understand this idea. I think, I think I'm having an insight or I think I've had an insight and I want to start sharing this. Uh, you're probably not going to start off by keynoting a TED conference. You're going to start off small and work your way up, sort of like planting the garden. So the obvious thing that you could do is start a podcast that is for a particular kind of people. I always, whenever, whenever I'm creating something, the first thing I want to know is who's it for, because that answers a whole bunch of questions that would otherwise be unanswerable about what language to use, what tone to use, what level of polish to use, where to uh, promote it, you know, how to reach people. And it just makes everything so much easier if you know who the thing is for. So uh, I usually start there and then I think, okay, well, what's the promise? So once I know who the, this thing is for, what's the promise I'm making to them? If you're going to listen to me and Rochelle gab for anywhere from a half an hour to an hour, what are you going to get out of that? You've paid us attention. What is the ROI? What's the return on that payment that you've made? 
And if it's not worth it, people aren't going to keep coming back. So the point is like, it's like one of the ways that you can start to develop a call it a speaking practice, I guess, or practice of speaking would be to start a podcast, maybe with someone else to keep you accountable, maybe on your own, maybe it's an interview show. It all depends on who it's for and what promise you're making, but it gives you this regular marketing activity that you can do, hopefully at least on a weekly basis, uh, maybe by, you know, some are bi-weekly, but so that it just keeps you coming back. It keeps your ideas in the public. It, you continue to share, you're developing your voice figuratively and literally. And it, I don't know, I think it's, it's the most obvious way I think to start speaking more in a marketing way without having to ask for anybody's permission. I had to chuckle when you said, well, the first thing you could do is start a podcast. Cause in my head, I'm going, well, the first thing you could do is start a blog. <laughs> because the podcast, what I love about the podcast, we're 90 something episodes in, but I'm still a new podcaster. You know, this is the only one I've done. What's great about the podcast is you, people can hear how you talk, how you speak, how you think. And it's, it's out there. It's, it's normally the episodes are evergreen. It's fabulous. I think the flip side is a lot of times people worry about the startup for a podcast and the amount of time, if you're going to have a a totally 100% guest show, right? Or how they're going to deal with the technology. And I'm not saying don't worry about that, but I'm saying think about the best place for your thoughts. So for me, I started with blog posting because I love to write. It's easy. There is no, there's no technical piece to it unless you count like throwing something up in WordPress and pressing a button. It's not technical. And it's a way to start with an audience. But what I really love about both of them is that they can feed each other. So we could we could each take each episode and write a blog post about it really easily. And vice versa, you could take a, a blog post that you've done and you could turn that into a podcast, whether that's you talking about the idea or you get a guest to come in to talk about the idea. So I love both of those ideas and how they work together. And I just think it's which one kind of pulls to your strengths to start. I agree with all that. So the, the way I look at it is like, there's these two, there's a speaking track and a writing track and they feed each other. And you, you kind of have to do them both. I don't think, I mean, maybe you're going to emphasize one a lot more than the other, but dear listener, when you think of an authority picture, picture like a particular one, somebody you think of as like, a total expert on something. And they're just well-known, not just an expert, but well-known for their ideas. Uh, you know, Seth Godin's an obvious choice, but there are plenty of other ones. And what do they do? They speak and they write. What can you do when you're, before you're, like I said, before you're keynoting somewhere and before you're writing books for Random House or whoever, then you don't just like magically happen overnight that you're doing those things. Like, how do you get there? By writing and speaking in small ways. So I love the idea. The thing that I love the most about blogging and podcasting is you don't need, you don't need anybody to anoint you. You don't need anyone to pick you. You just do it. Yes. I agree that podcasting is a little bit more technically challenging, but there are other things you could do that I've seen have really, people have really good success with. It depends on what space you're in, but uh, I know a few people who do both speaking and writing exclusively on LinkedIn, which I think is a little bit crazy because oh, you know, we've talked yeah. before about You're on somebody pl- else's platform. Yeah. I don't like yeah, that idea I at all. I don't love that, but it is really easy to get started. So if you were going to do that, you just, you probably got a smartphone, just 
talk into your smartphone, record a video, do it on a regular basis. They get lots of engagement. Currently, it's very highly optimized to uh, come to the top in the activity stream if you do videos. And you can blog there too. Like you can write full length articles there. I would say definitely save all of that content offline somewhere and maybe publish it on a blog later or in tandem. But the, the reason I bring it up, neither one of us, Rochelle or I, is a big fan of being locked into a platform like that. But I'd rather see you do that than nothing. And if setting up a podcast is too, is too technically challenging or it's, it's causing you to procrastinate and like endlessly decide what mic to buy, then just talk into your phone. And those, those sorts of videos are super, super engaging because they're, they're so honest, you know, they're not polished and slick. Uh, it's just, it's really all about you, your personality and your big idea. And uh, it, it's, if the, if the idea is there, it'll shine through. So you might as well, and eventually you're going to be standing on stage talking about it somewhere anyway. So you might as well start practicing, you know, I did a show for somebody. He, invited me to do it as a podcast. and But it turns out what he did was it was a Facebook Live that he then recorded and converted into a podcast. And so in, before the show went on, I said, what made you do it this way? And he said, you know, I'm a procrastinator. He said, this way, there's no editing. It is what it is. It's in its raw state. So if it's fabulous, it's fabulous. If it sucks, it sucks. But when I'm done, I push the button and out it goes. He really understood what worked for him. Yep. Yeah. I mean, Joe Rogan says the same thing. Like that's why his show's live. He's recording like six hours of video every single day. If he was editing it on top of that, it would just, he wouldn't do it. (laughs) Yeah. That would kill you. So this might be an interesting topic to bring up on this episode, which is the perfectionism. I don't don't want to go down a rabbit hole here, but worrying too much about how your voice is or the sound, or uh, you don't like the way you look on video or all of those things. It's like, it's like, I know how hard it is to get over that, but you just, if that is, that's a serious problem. Like if you can't find a way to get over that or just be like, you want your stuff to be good and you want it to be professional. You want to an extent, you want the audio to be even, you know, between our, you know, your voice and my voice. If they're totally different volume, that would be problematic. If our podcast was like, quieter than all the other podcasts on somebody's phone they're going to blow their ears out when they switch to the next one there's like some basic (laughs) stuff like that but you don't need to go nuts like around the perfectionism you don't have to go nuts about making it perfect it's like just start i mean rochelle how like if you go back and listen to our first couple of episodes what's your reaction oh i'm not going to do that (laughs) right right but guess what happened it, you wouldn't, you don't feel that way now, right? Like you got better at it. You feel more comfortable. It's more natural. Exactly. Yeah. But I did it. I did it anyway. Right. That's, the, and it's, that's important. And I could have sat here and said, well, Jonathan has this rich, silky voice designed for radio. How am I going to work with that? And it just doesn't matter. It's about the ideas and getting them out there. And it, it just can't be about your ego. In my case, it definitely was about the ego. It was like hearing that voice did not make me happy. But you just have to transcend that because it's not about me. It's about the ideas. It's about the audience. And if they don't like it, they'll go listen to something else. You do you, as we say, you do you. Right. It's so important to just start. So pick something that you feel is is you're more comfortable with. Maybe it's maybe it's writing first, but do something from the speaking category of things. And if you don't love your own voice, try to get some feedback from people. Like maybe get a better mic. You know, just but just don't 
try not to worry about it because it's it's all I've, you'll get better you'll get better right and like to and me, you may not even your your opinion of yourself may be completely warped almost almost certainly yeah yeah almost certainly yeah <laughs> yeah that's what i was like get get some feedback like have somebody listen to it and you know just like find someone who listens to podcasts and be like hey does this sound does this sound like other podcasts and especially someone who knows what you sound like, like someone you've spoken to on the phone or someone that in your family, because they're going to be like, yeah, it sounds just like you. Like, what? What? It sounds fine. I have a client who always says, I have a face that's made for radio. And he's fabulous on video. He is fabulous. It's like having a conversation with him. He is on video who he is in real life, you know, in an interview style format. I mean, he's terrific. So it's like you just you can't, you know, put your own assessment on this it's it's about the idea and the audience and the right audience is going to find you Mm -hmm. yeah and i like that story that you have i think it was a client who was kind of shy on stage or kind of shy in general but when he would get on stage to talk about this idea he was so passionate about the idea that that came through it's like you're not trying to be like a fashion model you're trying to get this idea across and if if you do have if you do have this big idea, you think it's important that it gets across to people to think about, think about that more than yourself. So it's not about you looking good. I mean, you're not going to sell any, unless you're selling like teeth whitener, you're not gonna, like, it doesn't really matter what you look like, you know, like what matters is that the idea is good. And that if you're, and if you can maybe focus on the importance of the world, hearing this idea and less about say how you look or sound, then it might you know, might help you a little bit with like a perfectionism thing or self being self-conscious or something like that. It's uh, about you, how you make your audience feel. Mm-hmm. That's really what it is. It's how yeah. do they feel? Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's, t- this is turning into a bigger tangent than I wanted, but yes. I do know a, a lot of people do have this sort of perfectionism slash self-consciousness around this. And I just wanted to kind of warn the listener that if that, if that feels like a blocker, then I don't know hit me up on Twitter and we'll, <laughs> we'll figure it out. Um, but in the meantime, to, to get back on track, what are some other speaking things that people could do if, if maybe podcast isn't the right fit for who they're trying to reach? You know, maybe their maybe their audience just doesn't listen to podcasts. What, what are some other things that people can do to get, essentially get better at presenting their ideas in that sort of speaking or visual medium? I've got a number of clients that do webinars and they, they tend to be people who consultants who are serving a corporate market. And so they won't just go out and do a webinar and say, come listen, they'll usually partner with somebody else. So it could be that there's, um, I don't know, somebody selling software to the same market that you do might be interested in having you on to talk about your area of expertise. You get introduced to a new audience Again, you don't own that audience, but you're being introduced and you typically gives you more exposure. It gives you practice. It gives you experience. So webinars uh, hosted by someone else can be really powerful. And of course, you know, self-hosted webinars as well. It's just I find you typically need some amount of an audience before you start to feel good about webinars because you'll get even if you get a decent sign up, a lot of people don't show up. They may listen to the listen to or watch the recording afterwards but if you're the person who really thrives in having a hundred or a thousand people on that webinar you're gonna have to work a while to get to that audience stage Mm -hmm. yeah so from a marketing standpoint if webinars was your jam 
then a great uh, tactic I've seen it's worked for me. I haven't, I didn't stick with it for whatever reason, but it, it was really, really valuable. I should probably keep, I should probably go back to it. It was good and fun and easy, but I, for a few months, I think it was five or six months in a row. I did like a third Thursday of the month, uh, webinar it was free and people could, uh, in the, there was like a topic and I would have a slide deck and it would be about a particular aspect of, you know, all things hourly billing is nuts. So it was, you know, about positioning and how to write a proposal and deadlines and all these different things that are uh, involved with value pricing software projects. And, you know, I have like maybe 100 people sign up, maybe it was 200 people sign up, or maybe it was 50 people sign up. And then usually about 50% of them, only about 50% show up live. But then the other people can watch it later and and they're still up and people still sign up for them to watch watch the replay. And it's this sort of in perpetuity, these presentations are up there and at the end of, you know, you can do Q and a, if there's anybody there and it's, uh, Oh, I know why I stopped doing it. I started doing group coaching. It was a similar kind of thing, but paid, but still it's a great thing to do. Just have to have something like that, a regular scheduled appointment in your calendar. That's let's say it's once a month, like third Thursday, and you just do it and you go on, on Twitter, or you go on LinkedIn or wherever your people are and say, Hey, I'm doing a presentation. It's going to have Q and A at the end, no sales, nothing like that. I just want to bounce this idea off a bunch of people and get some feedback and a bunch of people will show up. Some number of people will show up. If you're just starting out, then yeah, you're probably going to get two people if you're lucky. But, um, but if that's, that's the okay, case, that's it's okay. Fine. You still have you're the still recording. creating an asset. Yeah. And you on a schedule. And people can come and view it later. You can download if you use Crowdcast. I don't know about some of the others, but Crowdcast allows the host to download it later. You could take the audio off and post that somewhere else as like a, a podcast episode. Or, so all these different things you can do if you want to get technical about it. But if if podcasting, which I think is probably all things considered, I think podcasting generally is the best, easiest fit for the broadest number of people. It's not video. It's 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 just really low technical bar, but webinars are a close second. And you mentioned if you don't have an audience, you could maybe partner with someone. You can do the same thing with a podcast. So if you, if you yeah, yeah, you, if you've <laughs> got these I ideas, got right, uh, you just you can just guest on someone else's podcast. Like maybe the idea that you have is really well suited to photographers or really well suited to software developers, and you know, go find some shows that those folks listen to. And if they take guests, then you can put together a nice personal email to the host and say, hey, you know, I, I understand that you've got uh, this kind of an audience. I listened to a couple of episodes. I really dig where, you know, the, the tone of the show. I've got three different ideas that I think would be valuable to your audience. If any one of these would be interesting, uh, just reply back with the number and we can coordinate. Uh, if, if not, no big deal. Thanks for listening. And book a few shows. And then you don't have all of the heavy lifting. You just call in and they'll do like the, um, the question, you know, just like introduce yourself and ask you questions and, and you could just have a normal conversation like you would with anybody else on the phone and you're not doing all of the production and hosting and you don't have to think about all that, but you can start to share your ideas with an audience that for whom it's valuable and, um, you know, share somebody's audience, maybe build your own audience and have, uh, that as another approach. 
I really want to talk about running a workshop as part of maybe it's an industry association meeting. I think we tend to all want to be the keynote, like that feels like the holy grail. But I got to tell you, again, depending on your business model, your area of expertise, running one of those workshops is amazing because you're assuming this is your ideal audience. They see you in action. They see you working, they see you teaching them, and you have really almost one-to-one, depending on how big the group is, almost this one-to-one relationship. So if you can fill a room or your host can fill a room with your ideal clients and audience, workshop leadership is, is a great way to go. Are you talking about like in person, like actually yes. in a room? Okay. Yeah, so, physically yeah, in a room. Because a lot, a lot of people, you're going to these things once a year. If you're going to go there, teach something, mm-hmm. right? Run a run a workshop. You know, mm-hmm. they're usually anywhere from an hour to ninety minutes. And people, if you do it well, people will remember you, and mm-hmm. you get work from that. Yeah. So it's similar in my world. It's more common to speak at a meetup. So it's not, not dissimilar though. It's a little bit different, but it's not dissimilar because for software developers, you know, lots of groups do meetups, but software developers, it's extremely common. So you can look for meetups that have basically to have the kind of audience that should hear your idea. And then you'd reach out to the organizers and, you know, probably want to do one locally or at least within driving distance. They don't typically pay, but usually you get a really, like you said, you get a really good connection with the audience because you're you're there, you're in action, you're doing your thing. Yeah. Here's, here's another weird idea. So I have a client who has done this serious radio show and it's somebody else's show. He got invited because of something he'd written. It was just like, I think it was just a blog post or something. And it is probably the most boring show you've ever heard. Like I, I don't mean, I I don't mean my client who was the guest, but I mean the show itself, boring, but it was a very particular topic related to an aspect of the client's expertise. He's gone on the show three times over maybe two or three years. Every single time he gets at least one client out of it. Every single time. It's great to build your own but it's equally wonderful to guest on other people's shows and be introduced to a new audience. Right. I do want to call out something like some of the suggestions that we're making, like um, doing a workshop for say a trade association or speaking at a meetup of software developers or some interest group. Those are different than some of the other suggestions so far, because you do need someone's permission. Uh, They can be tougher to schedule. There may or may not be a recording of any of some kind at the end. So it might just be, um, you know, ephemeral type of engagement. And it's probably not going to be on a regular schedule. If we're talking about marketing habits and, and a roundup of activities here, the I would say the habit wouldn't be to do them. The habit would be to always be booking them because you can control that. You don't need anybody's permission yeah. to try to get booked. And there's long lead times on those things. So you really have to you have to watch them. And then I think the other part on the to-do is to get more on your radar, right? Because there may be different organizations, national associations that could really use you for something like that. And they typically don't pay workshop leaders. You usually fill out an online form. There's some pitching involved. So it definitely takes a little bit of time. It's easier if they come to you, but they're not going to in the beginning. Right, right. 
and you know, if you've got the wherewithal, this is a, that's a good thing to outsource to a VA because there's, yes. Yeah. 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 It's not, it's not necessarily the most fun thing, but I, I find it interesting because you find these organizations you never knew existed. And then you're like, oh, how does that fit with this person's expertise? So there's a lot more opportunities out there than you probably imagine. I love when I come across a rabbit hole of like, just like this huge ecosystem that you just can't believe existed. Like somebody sent me a link the other day to uh, somebody who makes mud for baseballs, like major league baseballs. Apparently pitchers like to rub this different kinds of mud on the ball. And he has like a million dollar business making mud for baseballs, you know? (laughs) Love that. (laughs) Yeah, it's great. I mean, there's so many things like that. I got a trade publication the other day. It was called like, um, I don't remember the name of it, but it was like for funeral directors. And like, it's this, it's this, quarterly trade publication like a glossy magazine like you might see it at checkout but it's it's totally for like people who run funeral homes and like all of the articles that that would like have social media for funeral home directors and like all of these different marketing things and like it's a big huge industry that you would never it's just not mainstream right it's just not on your radar so i i guarantee you that that there are thousands if not hundreds of thousands of these little sort of or i say little like these organizations that are under the radar but are actually quite large yeah yeah very very and they share information so Mm -hmm. you know you work with them or they buy your products they tell other people about them yes they're tight they're usually tight networkers yeah yeah. Um, what are some, so another thing that uh, has been really successful for me has been doing live streams, which is kind of like a webinar. It feels a little different and more modern, but um, you know, and you mentioned the Facebook live stream, but I've, I've done some YouTube live streams and I think a Facebook one, and I don't suppose the platform matters really. I mean, it matters, but it's not, not for the purpose of this discussion, but it's something that um, if you're comfortable being real off the cuff like that, and you just want to go live on YouTube or go live on Twitter, which you can also do or like whatever platform you feel like that's another thing where you don't need, you know, if it's your own channel, you don't need anybody's permission. You can just do it and put your ideas out there and get better at being on camera and get better, better at speaking in an unedited, not off the cuff, like you can prepare, but speaking in an off the cuff kind of unedited way that if you can develop that skill, it just makes everything so much easier uh, from a production standpoint for any of these things later because you just get good at not oh, at, like yeah yes. just do it live well i think especially i don't know that we've talked much about video yet but i know in in my own experience with video it took a while and and my rule was i didn't want to bother with video editing i just wanted to slap something on the front cut it off at the end and 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 i wanted somebody else to do that i didn't want to do that if I wasn't happy with it, it wouldn't go and I'd spend the whole day recording. That's not realistic. So you develop the skill set. You get comfortable doing it. And by the way, one of the reasons when we're talking about blogging and podcasting and video, just remember that people learn in different ways. And there are some people who would so much rather watch a video than read anything you're going to write and vice versa. So when you can create even the same content in these different forms, it allows more people to connect with you and learn the way they learn best versus the way, you know, you decide to feed them. 100% agree. I've had people, more than one person say, I like, 
I wish, wish, wish you would do a podcast of you reading your daily email so I don't have to read it. <laughs> I like that. I get people in the pricing seminar. Some love video, don't like audio, don't like reading. Other ones hate video, love audio, don't want to read. And other people who are just like audio and video are way too slow for me. I'm a super fast reader. I retain things much better if I just read it. And I'm actually planning in, in the next revision of the pricing seminar in the fall, I'm going to offer all three modalities, if you want to call it that, for each. Yeah, I'm going to do slightly longer uh, lessons and I'm going to do transcript, audio and video so you can get it as a podcast or as a as the video itself or just read it. Yeah, it's a common request. Yeah, I, I now I won't do a video course that doesn't have transcripts because they're just too slow for me. They drive me insane. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we've we've all all of us have gotten more sophisticated about what we like and what we don't like. And, it you know, it goes back to knowing who your audience is and what they value. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, so we've been talking a lot about sort of on camera, on mic types of things. What are some more writing things? We mentioned blogging. We probably should go into like email list next. I sort of blew over the email list. We started to talk about it a little bit, but I also think we should talk about some different ways to use social media like Instagram. Because I'm sure most people think, oh yeah, well, Instagram doesn't work with a technical area of expertise, but but it can. I think there's ways to use visual images and, and short bursts of writing in different ways to, to, to you know, to push your authority out there and, and get a different audience or a bigger audience. Each different platform has a different vibe and it has different norms and obviously different audience. So I was going to say if your people are on Instagram, then yeah, put stuff on Instagram. But there might be that there's a type of person on Instagram who does need to hear what you have to say. And you, it's just undiscovered by you. Um, so maybe it makes sense to do that. Instagram, I, it's not like a big thing for me. But um, that's just because my people are usually on Twitter and LinkedIn. But I could be wrong. There might be some like hotbed of freelancers or consultants on, on Instagram that would, you know, be interested in hearing like a daily story from me. That's basically a snippet of some YouTube video that I posted. Who knows? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Some things are, are just a no brainer that Instagram is your place. You know, I've been working with people in, in the beauty space and guess what? You know, that, that's got to be in there. Uh, health and wellness, same thing. So there are certain things that are naturally there. But for some people, Instagram might be the right place. Now, not if you're not willing to take high quality images and, you know, and work at it. So it's not it's by no means is it a slam dunk, but it is an interesting place that if you're in a crowded marketplace, you may be able to to mark out a little bit of territory for yourself. Mm hmm. Yeah. So this might be a good time to point out this list of things we're going through is not like a, something that you should certainly, I, I wouldn't even do three of them, maybe like three or four maximum. So like we're kind of running down a list of things that we or people that we've worked with have done to market themselves as an authority, but two or three. And as a, I, I wouldn't even be able to do as many as I'm doing now without a VA without, without a VA, I wouldn't even be able to do my YouTube channel. It's just too much it's not like a lot of work, but it's just enough that I would be like, nah, I'm going to let this slide. If we didn't say it at the beginning, I probably should have said like, this is, this is kind of a menu of options. And what you want to look for in the menu of options is like things that 
that are super easy for you, just really natural. I would love it if if you pick something from the speaking side of the fence and something from the writing side of the fence and start. If one of them is stronger for you, great. If the other one's a little bit weak, then consider it practice at getting better. Don't think you need to be on Instagram and Twitter and LinkedIn and, and no. vlogging and doing <laughs> webinars. And <laughs> You won't have time to, to actually make money. Yeah, you do have to do some actual work. So you want to talk about emails? Yeah, let's talk about emails. I've, I've said it before. I'll, I'll continue to say it. Like there's something magic about an email list uh, that doesn't exist in any of the other categories. And it is that it's a broadcast medium. When you send it, you can send it to tens of thousands of people, millions of people, uh, and then they can all reply privately to you. It's an addressable audience. In other words, they're known to you. There's an address. Like you can communicate with individuals. They can communicate with you individually. And it's not a list serve style mailing list, which is really probably, if you ask me, one of the original social networks. It's it's like you broadcast and then by default, it any responses are private. So it creates this great asynchrony with the privacy model. And it's people who uh, can sort of raise their hand for like, I need more help or they'll just be like, oh, that, that was a great email or whatever. But usually it's like, I have a follow-up question or this didn't land with me or I love all your emails, but this one I have to disagree with you on. And, and, and you get all these amazing opportunities that I just don't, I just don't see coming up in something like YouTube comments or blog comments where it tends to be a little bit more in the, in comment type interaction models like you'd see on a blog it's more of a drive-by knee-jerk kind of reaction in general where people because they know their comments going to be seen by other people and i think there's something different when they re- they know their reply is only going to be seen by me anyway it, it's i think yeah, it's that's, that's important jonathan it's an intimacy level right and especially if you're consulting it's the start of building we'll talk about trust we've talked about that a lot but it's intimacy by building intimacy with that client they're starting to see if they can trust you and they're sharing they're letting down their guard you're starting a relationship which i think is way different than like a a, a drive by post on a blog yeah i mean the the some of the emails i get from people are like soul bearing, like no stuff people are not going to put in public, like stuff that's obviously private. So I, I just think email's magic. Again, it's one of the ones that you don't need anybody's permission. How do you build a list? That's a whole show unto itself. But the core concept is the same as when we were talking about starting a podcast. It's like, who is it for? What is the promise? What pain does it solve for them? What What is the ROI they're going to get from paying attention to you? And and spending that three minutes that it takes to read the email every day or every other day or every week or whatever it is. If you can keep that promise and keep the, keep delivering ROI, delivering value over and above what it costs them to read, they're going to keep reading. Email is just magic. I, if I, if I was going to pick for a student, a brand new student, be like, okay, I think I need, you need to do two things. You need to do a writing thing and you need to do a speaking thing. I would be like, podcast and mailing list. It's, it's just like a simple, if you're not sure what to pick, those are the two of all things considered generally the best combination of pros and cons, in my opinion, are those, those two. You know, what's interesting, Jonathan, is if you had asked me this two years ago, I would have disagreed with you. I would have said video and email 
the reason for video was that they can see you, they can touch you, there's this connection. But what happens with podcasting is, I, I find is even richer. And in my own experience, I did a, a series of videos that I call Rochelle TV, and they're, you know, they're still out there. I got maybe, I'm trying to remember, I, maybe I found one client through them. I got a lot of comments about it and people that appreciated them, but it didn't drive my business. And with the podcast, I find it's very different. There's something about, I don't know if it's because uh, there's the dialogue between us, if it's the, when we have guests or that we have the combination of guests and dialogue, but I've, I've found people responding to it much more powerfully than, than the old videos. Clearly video and audio are different mediums. People are going to consume them in different ways. And I think video is very special for a lot of reasons. All things considered, though, it's much harder to do. And it, just just technically, it's just harder. The files are bigger. They take longer to process. Editing them is Oh, harder. see, I just don't do that. I just send it out. I, I think video is easier than podcasting. Oof. Isn't that uh, funny? <laughs> that is. I, yeah, because I, yeah, I don't edit it, my own. I don't want to do that. I just want somebody to just cut the beginning and the end and everything in the middle stays. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if you're doing one take, it makes it a lot easier, but still it's, it's, it's up to the person. I mean, just the fact that we have such different reactions to it, I'm sure people in the audience are going, Oh yeah. Or Oh no. Yeah. I'm kind of stunned actually. Like I'm stunned that you think video is easier than this, but anyway, um, well this, this with, with you, this is easier because you handle the back end part. So it's all I have to do is show up and then write something about it. Video did take longer. It absolutely did take longer, but it wasn't hard. Okay, fair enough. But you had that to help. Sense. Right. Well, yeah. Yeah, that's true. I did have to have some... I shot it with the iPhone, but I had to have help. My husband actually would you know, set it up and shoot it. But yeah, I did have to have help. So it wasn't... It was more of a hassle to set up. So I had a regular schedule to do it and, and all of that. But yeah. But it was easy because I just showed up, I sat down, and then I sent the file to somebody who just clipped the beginning, clipped the end, and then all I had to do was load it. Hmm. What about lighting? Wasn't lighting a pain? Not, not when I did it then. I had, you know, it's one of those things where you have to work all that out. And the funny part was that the place that I filmed it was over a main street, uh, right down the street from a firehouse. And so guess oh, what? <laughs> so yeah, so we had to stop a lot of times when the uh, when the sirens would go by. But uh, oh. yeah. Okay, well, I mean, you know, if you're more like Rochelle or you're more like me, you're going to find one or the other easier. And that's probably the yeah. one to do. But do, yeah, um, do what's easier. Yeah, but back to your point. Now, here's the other thing about audio, because I agree, like being able to see someone is a very creates a different kind of a bond. It's a different, there's, there's a piece of information or a lot of information that's transmitted there. That's important that you don't get with audio. But the thing I will say is when you're watching video, you're watching it, you're probably sitting down. You're probably, you might be at your computer or in a chair or whatever. When you're listening to this show, you're probably in your life. You're probably doing dishes. You're probably walking your dog. We're with you. At least that's the way I feel when I'm listening to podcasts. I feel like the they're they're more like a companion in my life than like somebody I'm sitting down to watch. There's still this there's some intimacy lost with the video viewing experience. I'm getting pretty deep into like subtle stuff, but 
I find it interesting that over that over the years you've changed your mind about that a little bit. But both both are very powerful, no doubt about it. But it's it's in different ways. Well, yeah. I'm just thinking of I, I've told you this, Jonathan. One of our listeners said, "You're my Monday morning row." <laughs> <laughs> so when he's exactly. on his rowing machine, he's listening to us, and I love that. We you know we fit into his very busy life. Yep, exactly. Speaking for myself, I find it much easier to fit po- audio podcasts into gap time or whatever than it is for t- video. It's like, it's like no comparison. It's so much easier. Well, and for me, I like having, it's something about putting the headphones on or the earpiece. I feel like I'm immersed in a world. And that's what I love about podcasts because I can paint my own picture, but I'm listening. And remember, we're talking about building authority. And so that's really, it's not about entertainment, although that's, you could argue that's part of it. It's more fun to learn something when it's entertaining you, but it's really about the learning and about passing information and learning experiences on. What are some other writing, obviously blogging, we talked about that a little, what are some other writing things that could be a habit? Yes, yes. Um, Writing for other uh, publications, other sites, other bloggers, not just guest posting, but what I love is when you can get the right medium and you get a good set of editors And remember, you're writing for them now, so it's not necessarily the way you would write it for yourself, but you, the editors of a publication will guide you to shape something that their audience is going to appreciate. So doing some kind of a regular article production, along with getting that piece placed in the right venues is another thing you can do. And especially there's some longer form pieces that that, uh, certain publications really, really love. Years ago, when physical magazines were a bigger thing, uh, I had a column in a magazine that was the, the biggest and only trade journal for a particular industry, which it was like squarely in my area of expertise. And it was like the greatest. It'd be like, oh, your articles do. And be like, oh, all right. And I had this little idea file of as I would be doing client work, I'd be like, oh, this would be a good idea for the, for the magazine. And I just sort of had these little uh, files stashed away. And then when it, when they'd be like, I'd be like, Oh, whoops, it's, you know, deadline. I'd pull the thing out. I'd be like, Oh yeah, this was pretty cool. And write like a 1500 word kind of tips and tricks, uh, development article for this magazine. And it was amazing. Cause it, it's one of those ones that you need permission. You can't just decide you're going to start writing for somebody else's magazine. <laughs> Um, so you, yes. you need permission to do it, but once you do it, especially if it's regular, like a column, oh man, it's so great. Cause you've got this outside accountability. There's going to be some editor or project manager or somebody that's like bugging you. You've made this commitment to this other person or this other organization. You're much more likely to stick with it. Since it was hard to get the spot in the first place, you'll be more likely to want to keep it and keep it up. Getting a column, you know, a regular column in a, a publication is regularly read by your Target market is like super cool. It's super, super cool. Yeah. And you may not even know where your target audience is. So you want to do some research first, but be creative. Your your tribe may be hanging out in a place that you least expect. And it might be easier for you to get in there than, you know, the one that everybody else is going after. We mentioned this a little bit previously about how they can kind of interact and, you know, the speaking side of the fence and the writing side of the fence, they can kind of inform each other doing like a a workshop or meetup or any kind of in-person scenario where there's going to be hallway chatter or sponsors or 
you know, just like random ad hoc conversations before or after your presentation or your workshop, it's a great opportunity to find out what do you guys all read? Like what is there a publication? Is there a place where everybody hangs out online? Is there a particular books that, you know, you can kind of do, I don't even want to call it market research, but I mean, it's what it amounts to, but really you're just chit chatting with people about what they're interested in and what their watering holes are. Like, how do you find out? Oh, I'm at this conference of funeral directors. Like what does everybody read to keep up with the thing? Is there an association? Like, do they have a conference? You know, is there a, are there regional meetups? Should I maybe think about talking to people over there? If you thought this talk was good, if I was going to do it somewhere else, where would I look? Uh, if I was going to advertise, where would I advertise? That's another question that I use with people to kind of get them to think of their sources of information, industry-specific sources of information. Like, uh, if I was going to advertise or if I was going to buy a booth at a conference, what conference would you recommend? Like, what's the big one? And they're like, oh, t- totally SAP or whatever, some initials. And I'll be like, what's that? And they'll be like, oh, you've never heard of that? Like, oh, obviously, that's the one they'll send me to this conference website that has like 50,000 attendees every year that is just super <laughs> niche that nobody outside of that ecosystem's ever heard of. They take over an entire conference center in like Vegas for a weekend. And it's like, wow, okay. Point being there is like when you do have those op- in-person opportunities, that when you're sort of off mic and you're just kind of socializing with people before and after, those are things that will probably come up and you could find out and then it'd be like, oh, do you know anybody there? Who should I talk to there? Do they have guest posts? Do they do you know anything about columns? Do you think this would be interesting to people, readers of that magazine and kind of do use those opportunities to look for these kinds of writing spots or writing outlets? You can Google. I mean, you might be surprised if you don't pay attention to the first two or three pages and actually go back four or five, six pages. You may find some things that that surprise you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Trade publication for funeral directors. I'm sure it'll come right up. You know, so if you <laughs> if you do like trade magazine for community or psychographic or demographic or something like that. I've, I've done this exercise with tons of people where they're like, oh, I'm thinking about specializing on buggy whip manufacturers. And I'd be like, well, do they have a conference every year? Oh yeah, yeah. There's an, been an annual conference for the last 10 years. I'm like, all right, there's a market there then. How many people come? Uh, 10,000, 5,000, 2,000. All right. Yeah, there's a market. It's not yeah. too small. Depending on how you're positioning yourself in which market and how you slice and dice it, there's a lot of different ways to look at this. I just think it it makes so much sense to do the research, talk to people, go to some conferences. Maybe you know about this conference, but you don't go because you just haven't justified the time and the expense. Well, justify it. Go to one. (laughs) See what it's like. Meet people. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know folks who go to conferences and not even buy a ticket. They'll just hang out at the hotel, rub elbows with the attendees, like after hours, like at the bar or the restaurants or whatever. You know, if there are any social events that are open to the public, save a few bucks or whatever, especially if it's a local thing. You just like go hang out at the hotel. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. If you want to do it on the cheap. Yeah. I've never thought of that. <laughs> what about <laughs> books? So, like, in terms of books kind of straddles the permission fence because you've got, you're either going to self-publish or you're going to go with a publisher. And there's big pros and cons to, to each. Depends on why you're writing the book. 
if you're trying to reach a broader market and you don't really care about the income so much, then maybe going through the jumping through the hoops to get a publishing deal might make sense or it might not. It might be super niche and you know that nobody's going to be interested because at a maximum you're going to sell a thousand copies. Like very few publishing houses are going to be interested in that. It depends on what your goal is. You can develop a writing habit where you say, okay, I'm going to start working on a book. And it's this, to me, it's the same thing. It's like the same advice as starting a podcast or a mailing list or a YouTube channel or anything. It's like, who is this for? What is the promise? What are they going to get out of it? If they spend their time and money with this piece of content I've created, whichever one it is, what's the point? What's in it for me, the reader? And answering that question, and then, you know, you could have a, a daily routine where you start outlining, start outlining the book, work on the book outline. Okay, the book outline's fleshed out. Okay, now, now keep fleshing it out, break it into chapters. And there's a million techniques. It's like literally we could do an entire show on like the different ways that you could write a book, especially self-published. You don't need permission to write it. You might need permission to publish it with a third party. But once you feel like your idea has been honed, through all of these other sort of feedback loops where you've got maybe a mailing list or you've got doing workshops in person and you st- or maybe webinars with live Q&A and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm learning how to teach this. I'm learning how to deliver this to different kinds of audiences in a way where it lands with them and they have that spark of inspiration. Like they get it. The light bulb goes on. Like that's a great time to write, to, to get it down in a book form. And yeah, and and maybe as preparation for that, you might think about doing a simple e- ebook. And when I say ebook, I mean a, a short PDF that's downloadable from your site. You can do that from some of those blog posts or articles. Sometimes all you need to do is have a little bit of of something to tie them together. You don't necessarily even have to charge for that. You may not want to, uh, or you might treat it like a like a regular book and charge for it for the download. But there's a lot you can do between getting a, a, a fully industry published book out there and having nothing. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, so this is something I say to the kids all the time. I'm like, everything's practice for the next time. And this speaks to the perfectionism thing too. So the corporal go to do a karate performance. He'll be excited and anxious, but it'll be a little bit nervous too. And I'm like, look, it's, you know, this is not going to be the last time you do this. It's just practice for the next time. So just be yourself have fun, do the best you can, and you'll be better next time. So no matter what happens, it'll be fine. And unless he gets his teeth kicked out, which is a different story. (laughs) (laughs) You don't mention that. (laughs) Right. Um, So, so dear listener, you know, if you're thinking about maybe outlining a book, probably no one's going to kick your teeth out and you can just do it. And it doesn't have to be perfect or amazing, or, you know, you, you might not be the next Faulkner. That's fine. It is its own thing and its own release, but it helps me release stuff if I picture it as like practice for the next time. So like what I'm really doing here is I'm, I'm engaging in a practice. There's no one point that I'm like supposed to be arrived. You know what I mean? It's just going to be yes. like, you, you look back and you're like, man, I wrote a couple of really good emails last year out of the 365. <laughs> I don't say good because I really like that one. I say good because 350 people replied to it or people shared it or people bought a book from it or something. One of those things that can be part of your practice, your writing practice is to, you could be always working on a book. You could have always one book on deck and you're collecting stuff from your daily 
client work or whatever it might be, your daily interactions with students or uh, audiences or whatever, and you've got this theme for an idea, you've got this theme, an idea for a book, and you just, it's every day, you just put stuff into the outline or into the swipe file or the idea file for that. And then at some point you're really like, huh, I should probably like actually take a few passes at this and get it to the next stage and then maybe have somebody edit it or maybe present it to a publisher or whatever. Yeah. And I think going back to your point though, is, is being an authority, you never arrive, right? It's, you're always practicing. That is part of the essence of the authority because you're curious and that curiosity takes you to new places. So you're always going to have something in the hopper that you're working on. On the writing side of the fence, we talked about blogging. We've talked about mailing lists. We've talked about having a column or some sort of guest posting uh, on a regular basis. We've talked about, you know, having a book in the works. I feel like I'm forgetting a big one, like a big writing thing. I, I'm thinking. Um, I guess social media. Some people are, would lump social media in there. Uh, well, maybe. I think social is a separate category. But but I'll tell you, if you're a good writer, you can make social media work for you. I mean, think about the people like celebrities who you follow. The ones we tend to follow are the ones that are funny or they have pithy observations or they tell you something in in 140 characters or 240 characters that is interesting. I just think it's a different style of writing. Got to do it in sound bites and then it has to relate back to your big idea. Yeah, there is a certain talent to it, isn't there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's different. It's different. Absolutely. That's why I think comedians are so good at it. Totally. It's kind of like the, it's like their punchline, right? It's like you're constantly doing punchlines and, and you, obviously you don't have to be funny, but sometimes something funny is, is the perfect icebreaker. Mm-hmm. Big time. And what I would say is in social media, if you're, if you're going to be active in social media in, in one or a couple of platforms, you don't need to be active in, in five or, or more, but I think you do want to learn how the medium works, and then that will help you write for them. So writing on Facebook is different than on Twitter, is different on Instagram. There's some commonalities for sure, um, and LinkedIn is different still. So whatever platform you're going to get on, learn how they operate, and then and just experiment. You'll see what works and, and what crashes and burns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Reddit's another yeah. one. Hacker News is another one. And they all have their own social norms. So you, you do want a, yeah. one that, that makes sense for you. Going through that list made me remember uh, a writing one that's social related. So I, I recommend for people when they're kind of early and still looking for their who and they're still looking for their big idea. So maybe this would be maybe a little earlier in the process. If that describes you, then you can do something called answer bombing where you Go to places like Reddit's a big one, Cora, uh, of course, where people are just, the, the whole platform is asking questions. I mean, Yahoo Answers, there's all these places you can go. LinkedIn groups, you can go to, if you can find a forum for a particular group that you're that's public, and you're just going and help people. So like you've got this, you've got some kind of expertise at a thing, and you go and you're, you're just kind of lurking in this group, hanging out, not being obnoxious or pushy or nothing, nothing like that. And uh, maybe Google around or maybe you browse around in a forum and you look for people asking a question that you're good at answering. 
whatever it is, it would be something in your expertise. And with me for a long time, it would have been mobile, especially mobile web. So people have all these questions about mobile web and it could be career questions like, oh, I'm a mobile web developer. What should I do? Or our website's not mobile friendly. Does that matter? You find questions like that all over the internet and you just answer it, like drop an answer bomb, like a 1500 word answer, an amazing answer with like links to supporting materials, like a really detailed pro and con. It's basically a blog post. And it's, I find it for people who are still uh, a little bit newer, a little bit still finding their footing, it's a lot easier to answer a specific person's question about a specific thing than it is to just come up with a blog post idea it, where they don't really know who they're talking to. They don't know what level of specificity to use. They don't maybe know the exact kind of language to use. So it's just way easier to answer a question than to create something from whole cloth uh, at first. So going around and doing those answer bombs, I would, I would say if you do do that, always copy it someplace locally because it will disappear. You'll forget where it was. You'll remember you wrote something really good, but you can't find it. And it's a really frustrating feeling. So save all your answer bombs in like a local folder on your computer or whatever, but go around and just do that. And like that, this is, again, this is something you don't need permission. You can do it. You can make a daily practice of like looking Every day for 15 minutes, you're going to look for questions to answer. And if you find one, you're going to answer it. And if you don't find one next day, you'll keep looking. And that's just, that's your habit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good one. By my count, we've given listeners one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 different ways to market an authority business. And to reiterate, you're probably going to do one from each list at the most for a long time. Maybe you'll do two, you know, maybe you'll get a VA to help you do another one or something, but, but pick one from each list. That's just really, really, maybe not easy, but the easiest one for you, the least friction, the one that the one's the least intimidating and just put it on your, on your to-do list every day, your daily to-dos. Today, I'm going to write a blog post. Today, I'm going to write a pithy quote on social media. Today, I'm going to answer bomb. Today, I'm going to record a podcast episode. We said on a previous show, 20 hours a week would be nice. But if you do it an hour a day, it's only five hours a week. But if you're doing it weekdays, if you do it every day, you know, you are tending to your field, you're tending to your garden, and uh, you're going to be getting tons of great feedback. You're going to be developing your ideas in public. You're going to be helping people, which is always nice. Do it. Yeah, do it. <laughs> What do you listen to us for? Go do it. <laughs> exactly. Just do it. Yeah. Well, I think that's a pretty comprehensive list, Jonathan. Yeah. I can't think of anything else. Well, as soon as we stop, we'll think of three more. But <laughs> if, if we do, we'll put them in the show notes. There you go. That's a good idea. Cool. Okay. Well, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye-bye.